I don't think I would be alive today if not for God. I would say he's my anchor now. You know, whatever else that I've gone through in life, I know it's going to be okay because I know I have him. Hello everyone, my name is Doug and I'm one of the pastors here at Lord's Love Church and everything we do here is to help you receive and live out the love of Christ. Thanks for tuning in if this is your first time listening and welcome back for those who have joined us here before. Well, whether you call LLC home or not, we're just glad that you're here. This is episode 8 of our podcast segment called Stories from the Church, where we share stories from the church that are for the church. Today's conversation is with Joanne Chan. Joanne and I have served on the 2017 short-term mission team together to Ghana, Africa. And let's just say because of her gift in cooking and hospitality, our entire team was very well taken care of. At Lords of Church, she's currently the fellowship department head and also serves on several other leadership teams as well. Unfortunately, we weren't able to get into those topics of leadership today, but on the other hand, fortunately, we were able to hear her story, which is a perspective on pain and suffering and what she has learned about God during those tough times. Joanne is one of the most joyous people that I know of, and she shares how she finds hope during the darkest times of her life. With the year 2020 has been, we can all use a little bit more hope right now. Maybe that's why whether someone is Christian or not, Christmas decorations around the city have gone up so much earlier than they usually do. If 2020 has been a tough year for you or you're currently going through hardship of your own right now, we're praying that through this episode that God will speak to you and give you strength and hope through this time. Well, without further ado, here is my conversation with Joanne Chan. Well, hi, Joanne. Uh, thanks for being uh, on this podcast uh, conversation with me. I've been looking forward to this time for quite a moment now. Just just before this, we were having quite a giggle about random conversations, and I'm glad we didn't record before that. But yeah, well, welcome to uh, this recording. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Hello, Pastor Doug. <laughs> I guess I'm looking forward to this too. Nervous, but um, I, I feel like we always do have really good conversations. So I hope that whatever results today will encourage some people or be relatable in some way. Yeah, I think so. We never know when or how these conversations are going to go. And Mm. the point of us having this conversation is really being authentic or organic. Actually, you just reminded me, and this is kind of off the cuff, like in a world right now of our pandemic, uh, I think what the world needs is a bit more authenticity, uh, that we need more... We need to be more personable instead of professional. So I think that I think that's something that's been on my mind, especially the type three in me, my Enneagram. Number three, you know, I'm not sure if you know your Enneagram number. I <laughs> but, am not up on those personality tests, but I'll take your word for it. So I guess a bit of an icebreaker. I know you love cooking. And also you and your husband, Brian, have traveled to Japan. I feel like it's like twice a year before the pandemic. I well, for him. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he gets to go. Well, he went with his students before, and then he went with me like several months after last. Wait, was it last year? Year before. But yes, we do love Japan. Um, it's uh, always been something, a place that we both loved, even before we met each other. What What's your favorite thing about Japan? I I could not name one thing. I mean, the food. It's actually really beautiful. Like there's a I, you when we think about Japan, I think you think about the big cities, but then at the same time, mm. it's so much more than that. Like when you go to the countryside, it's like a different world. And the people that I've met are all so kind, and I really appreciate how I think the culture there is very um, committed and passionate. 
like you, you meet people who just dedicate their whole life to perfecting one thing. And I simply do not have that sort of self-control or patience to really, yeah, I, I really just appreciate mm, the culture there. Yeah. Mm. Actually, you reminded me of how, for example, there's a, when people go to Japan, I often see the, the mochi making man. Oh, the yes. guy that the, the guy that uh, pounds the mochi with his hands and with that wooden hammer. Yes, um, terrifying. Yeah, so like in Japan, there is a culture of being really good at one thing, whether it's making mm. mochi or making crepes or ramen. That's that's mm. huge or sushi. I remember uh, watching a documentary of how uh, to be apprentice of one of the sushi makers, you have to first learn just how to make the rice. Are you talking and, about Jiro Dreams of Sushi? Yeah, that sounds that sounds I've right. Watch that thing like three times at least it's yes yes yeah. he's still alive i think he's like in his he's 90 something oh i actually and, didn't know sorry. he was that old no no it's good <laughs> I, actually well, what's the um what, what's the term for it do you remember in japan in japanese the term for like really b- being good at that one thing no, no. We'll, we'll I, look it up afterwards sure yeah yes. but, but but i think that, that there's something to be said about that in our north american culture I guess I, I, for me anyways, in terms of my heart being scattered and doing a million things at once, but what would it look like to hone in on one thing and to be really good at it? Mm. And actually speaking of really good, you're really good at cooking. <laughs> Thanks. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I would say like, so, so for those listening, I, Joanne and I have been part of the team, our short-term missions team to Ghana, uh, Africa before. And to be honest, uh, be, that was the most fancy meal i've ever eaten while riding in a rickety van uh, i've never eaten handmade onigiri rolls <laughs> in, in a rickety van before but it was all because of joanne's creativity and handiwork and her passion for food and cooking yeah i think food is a really definitely like, i i think this must resonate with a lot of other um cu- cultures as well but like food is just how i for sure in my family we expressed any sort of affection for each other you know it's not I never got the I love you or I you know that that sort of verbal affirmation but I think with my parents it was a lot of um if you tell them that oh this is really good then you will eat it for the next like (laughs) week month like (laughs) they they don't know how to express yeah uh affirmation through words but they certainly know how to feed you and I think I've definitely adapted that of like acts of service and when I I think yeah just just the very practical way of expressing care for someone and it's so satisfying to like see someone enjoy something that you made you know so yes I do enjoy cooking I don't know how good I am but it's definitely something I enjoy Oh, I can attest that, that, oh. that you're very good. Um, Thanks. And, and also, it really is a passion. It comes through. I remember our conversation flying to Ghana, or was it flying back from Ghana, in terms of how I, I confessed I don't have a very fine palate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sure, I love vanilla everything. <laughs> Doesn't matter. You give me one. If there's one, one flavor or a thousand flavors of ice cream, it's still going to be <laughs> vanilla. I mean, vanilla is great. Don't get me wrong. But yes, I, I don't know that I, I relate the same as you. So how 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 long have you been attending uh, Lord's Love Church? You're like you're in quite a few leadership positions now. But when and how did you start coming to LLC? Uh, what was your faith journey like uh, coming to LLC? 
So I, I think I'll start from, I guess the context of it is that I didn't grow up in a Christian background. I think like my grandparents used to take us to temple and we occasionally mm. like uh, had vegetarian days like right. for penance. I, I, I don't know. I guess so. Um, but I don't think we were like super religious or anything. Um, but I, I think maybe what the circumstances I was in growing up made me really think that um, whoever it was that was up there in the sky controlling things that he must have hated me. And I, I thought, um, yeah, I didn't really see a purpose for life and was depressed and I say suicidal for most of my life until I was like 20, 21. And I, I mm. think how apart within that time when I was uh, 13, as I'm sure many teenagers are going mm. through a really tough time, I remember um, talking to a friend of mine and just being, this is on MSN, by the way, for those <laughs> who remember such technology. Um, but yeah, I remember this friend who just always seemed so laid back and chill and just seemed to have, seemed to be so put together. And mm -hmm. so I asked him, like, what is your secret? How are you always so okay? I'm pretty sure those are the exact words I used. And the exact words he replied to me with was, um, I think it is because of my faith and relationship with Jesus. And oh. I, that, first of all, a 13 year old giving that response, <laughs> crazy. Um, but that set me off on a journey of who is this Jesus guy? Cause I, I had heard about him in popular culture, I guess, mm -hmm. but it's not like he meant anything. He's like Santa Claus, you know? Um, <laughs> so uh this friend oh by the way his name's Aaron Ma I believe he was on previous two episodes of the podcast yes yes, yes. very two episodes worth, ago very worthwhile friend to have in uh, your life so I count myself lucky but um yeah for the years following that conversation when we were both 13 he repeatedly invited me out to like um Christmas plays to check out his fellowship group and mm. to Sunday services and I'd go here and there um but it never fully took um but I'm really glad like he kept on inviting me which by the way like I don't think I would have that kind of patience or perseverance now because wow. I in a sense it's like I not that I rejected but kind of right like that for eight years it took eight years of when uh he I guess I told his girlfriend now wife Greta <laughs> who was part of LLC that um and she told like I guess she knew that I was maybe searching or exploring and Greta on Facebook messaged me and said hey there's this thing called alpha would you be interested in checking it out it's basically like um just a course or or a thing to get to know what Christianity is all about and this was right when I had grad grad I was a I think about to graduate my program in college so I was super stressed and definitely I think one of the lowest points in my life uh, emotionally and mentally because I was living by myself and just so stressed out um and so I told her 
no, maybe next time. And I know for sure when I said next time, I was just being polite, like, you know, <laughs> but uh, six months later, she invited me again on Facebook and said, hey, we're holding Alpha again. Do you want to come out? And actually, at that, right when she had asked me, I had been in the middle of this shutdown, I think, of myself. Like I had not, I was like starving myself and um, not seeing like anyone. Like I remember classmates came and knocked on my door, but I like ignored them pretending that I wasn't home. And it was really weird because I know that I was like I I wanted someone to care because I didn't think anyone cared but at the same time when people tried to show me they cared I I couldn't I don't know if it was shame or what it was but I just couldn't bring myself out of it and but some for some reason I mean god duh but (laughs) but for some reason that that uh when she invited me again that night I actually decided that I would go and it just so happens LLC was I think like a five minute 10 minute journey from where I was living at the time so it was convenient um and then kind of everything else is this history ever since I attended Alpha things I mean did a 180 and here I am now Mm. (laughs) thanks for sharing that Joanne like you know for sharing your bit of your story I I know there's more to it but, but as you're sharing, I'm just, I find it very fascinating because I was just sharing with you before this, this morning, I was just in a webinar with Alpha, like, you know, Alpha Canada was having a webinar and mm. it was talking about, you know, during the season of Advent and Christmas and this whole year of how people are wrestling with so many anxieties and so many, uh, so much, there's so much lon- loneliness going on. Uh, there's so much pain going on in the world and how, uh, the heart of invitation has to be the heart of the church right now and how uh, we need to keep inviting people and how those that have experienced invitation continue to invite. And you've been part of that journey. Like like you've been part of inviting people to LLC, but also you know, part of the alpha journey of, 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 of our church as well, of inviting others to come and know Jesus. And it's kind of interesting how it's come full circle. And what also, I mean, this bit of a tangent, but in terms of invitation, what you just shared right there about uh, how Aaron was persistent in inviting you and how with the heart of invitation during this time is that prayer and persistence pays off and it matters and it does make a difference whether it's right away or eight years later, as you mentioned. And I find that quite fascinating. How, how, how did your, your family take you take it when you were going to church or how did they receive the news Oh no, <laughs> that's a total rabbit hole. Um, I at first my mom took it okay because she thought actually my landlady when I told her at the time because I was living alone I told her oh I'm like going I don't know she invited me for something and then I said oh no I can't I'm gonna be out at church and then she said oh you're going to church that's great I hear lots of good boys at church you can find yourself a boyfriend I was like uh that okay (laughs) I don't think that's why people go to church I mean I'm not saying that's that could be the reason why I guess but uh, yeah so um that that, I think my mom had a similar reaction as well she she was like oh sure like church has good people uh go you're all alone go for it but then 
I, I, I really do. I should talk to some people that knew me before I became Christian. I guess Aaron could testify. I don't know. But I feel like the person I am now is so different from the person I was. It definitely internally, I, I the way I process and think about things, the way I see the, the world, it's so different. And um, I, when I became, like after attending Alpha and when I um, accepted Christ and became, got baptized I really kind of threw myself into this community because I think it was the first time I felt like I had people who were on my side who had um yeah that I had a family somewhere to belong to and my mom I think took that uh maybe she was threatened or scared she didn't take that very well and she at one point made me choose. She said that I had to choose whether I was going to go to church or if I was going to be her daughter. Um, wow. Yeah. I, I think she, she said that she was worried. I think I know she it came out of a place of care. She was worried that um, I had been brainwashed. And in a way, I guess you could say that that could be true. <laughs> the, my worldview was rocked. Um, but yeah. And she was worried that she was just worried and I understand, but it was definitely difficult. Um, I'm not sure how comfortable you are in sharing this, but like growing up, you, it sounds like there was an interesting relationship between yeah. you, you and your mom and your parents. You want to share a little bit about your family dynamics? You have a younger brother. Yes, I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> I... Well, I, I think like growing up for me was a very brief process. And I, from a very young age, I always remember people being like, oh, you're so mature for your age. And I think I, I was proud of that. Like I felt like, ooh, you know, in hindsight, as an adult now, or somewhat of an adult, I don't know that I, some days I don't feel like much of an adult, but as like, as uh, an adult now, I look back and I think that it's, um, lamentable that I mm. grew up so quickly as a matter of necessity. So the background of my family is, or the growing up, my childhood, my father was really um, physically violent and temperamental and controlling and just a whole bunch of other things. So that was a very unpleasant environment to grow up in. And uh I, I like very often, you know, like that typical horror movie scene where like you're all you're you and your your like you're staring at a locked door and you see the doorknob shake and you're like panicked about the person on the other side, whether or not, you know, you're going to be doomed like that was mm. often my wow. what I grew up in. And I so I, I do have a brother, but I also have two other sisters. So when this was all happening, I was around three or four, I believe, maybe five at most. No, wait. Yeah. So around four or five. Um, this is basically what I remember. All my childhood memories are something of this nature. And I would like my my dad would often be on the other side of that door, shaking the doorknob, trying to get in. My mom would be in one corner. Me and my sisters would be huddled in the other and my mom would try and call the cops. And the really 
twisted thing about it is that once the cops showed up, everyone would be so afraid of like being potentially split up or all the things like that could happen. And I would end up having to be, cause I was the oldest one and the only one with some English capacity. So I would end up being the one mediate, not mediating, but translating for my dad and for my mom to the cops, what happened. And so I don't know, I found myself like just lying and, and being put in very difficult scenarios that I don't think I fully grasped, grasped um, until even now, I think it's something that I'm still working Mm. through. Yeah. Um, But eventually my mom found the courage to leave my dad, but then that I think broke her. Uh, yeah and she worked like three jobs to make ends meet and uh it was really tough we had to rely on the food bank which by the way I I don't know if it's the case now but at the time all the stuff that we got from the food bank was very like foreign for the Asian palate so we'd look at things that we'd receive like what do we do with this how do we cook this (laughs) hence your creativity possibly yeah um but yeah it was she also became abusive and depressed through the mm. that experience. And for a time I was put in foster care. And I, I think basically if I had, I, I think I stopped being a kid the moment my mom decided to leave my dad. Um, but I think before that there was some semblance of like, I, I was still protected by all these people, but then once she decided to leave and I, I had to become someone that my mom could rely on. So yeah, like, like, like growing up and all of that, that really, I, I wrote like ever since I was a kid, like maybe in grade two, I kept a diary mm. in grade two. It was all gibberish. I, I <laughs> it made no sense, but I, I, frequently remember writing in my diary throughout my childhood uh, growing up process of asking God why he hates me so much. Um, Cause I just thought, I I always believe that there must, I, yeah, that there must be someone in control of it all. But then why, why does he have this vendetta against me? Cause I felt like, yeah, what, what did I do wrong? Hmm. Um, well, you know, as, as as you're sharing that, first, um, my heart breaks just hearing about how tough it was for, for you growing up and how I think broken families is a, a struggle and a problem for many, uh, probably most many people that are listening, but also definitely in Vancouver and Canada and North America, uh, maybe the world even. And just your your share your story as you share that I think many people will resonate with that. I'm just thinking about how how tough that that really is. How since you come from a broken family, that you had to grow up so quickly, and because of that, you lost your childhood in that sense. Like you had to forfeit it because, well, you had to be the oldest sister. You had to you know take care of your siblings. And I I'm not sure if I knew that you were part of uh, you were in a foster care. You know, as you were sharing too about. You wonder if God, why, why does God hate you? You had those, you know, you had those feelings of like, why does God hate you? God, do you care? Uh, like, why does God have a vendetta against you? 
And I think many people, especially in 2020, are wrestling with that. Uh, as there, and anytime anyone goes through any pain and suffering and trials, and we'll get into, into that a little bit later, but you've definitely had your fair share, even as we start with your story. But I think now, though, the narrative has shifted for you. Like, I'm jumping ahead here, but like, who, who would you say God is to you now then? You know, in terms of like, before you're like, well, God, you know, I feel like God hates you. God, you know, doesn't like you and is doing all these things against you. That's the crazy part is that I, I wouldn't, I don't think I would be alive today if, if not for God, if, if he didn't, I would say he's my anchor now through, you know, whatever else that I've gone through in life, I know it's going to be okay because I know I have him and it's such a 180 from what I felt once before I I think knowing that I'm never I used to think God hated me I think because of that loneliness because I didn't know that he I didn't really know that he existed or that he care existed for me but now it's yeah just just knowing that I never have to be alone because God is my father. You mentioned a loneliness hmm. there of how, um, sorry, can you repeat that again? So in sense that some sense, like, well, what I mean is like, you, you felt like you, you were lonely and hmm. very rightly so because of the situation, but that I guess was you associated that lonely loneliness to God, not caring or someone not care, like no one else caring mm, about you was that mm. kind of the connection between between the two oh i guess the missing part is to explain <laughs> that when i attended alpha when i first uh came to loc i like learning about the uh, Christ- uh, learning about christianity all the beliefs everything and who god was all of that made sense to me um like on a in a mind sort of way but i remember uh like on one of the days I prayed, I guess. Uh, But like to me, it was just thinking or speaking frankly and to God. And I was like, you know, I get it. I think I understand on a mind level who you are and sure, but I don't know if I can believe in you or have a relationship with you because you're supposed to be like a father right so but I have no idea what a father's love is supposed to look like and that and then very distinctly I heard a voice in my head say that your earthly father may not have been good to you but I have always loved you and I have always been with you and that that was like a switch went off and that's that 180 that I talk about that I haven't looked back that moment that I heard from God and knew I was never going to have to be alone again. I, that depression that I was stuck in that feeling of being alone, it went away and it hasn't, I'm, I'm very thankful that it hasn't come back. We often say during pain and suffering and uh, whatever it is we're going through, that what the world needs right now specifically is Jesus. And it sounds like such a Christian answer, <laughs> right? And it is, it, it, I mean, that's the answer that, that Christianity brings to what any problem, yeah. right? Right. It sounds so, so cliche, I guess, but 
but it's the truth as, as cliche as, as it sounds. And I think what you just shared there is a testimony of that, of how there's nothing that can really explain that, of how you were able to experience peace, even though your situation ha hasn't changed, uh, that you experienced peace in the presence of Jesus, even though you still had the problems go going on. And I find that really, really fascinating. And I, I go back again to the alpha webinar I just heard in terms of like in our time in our day and age right now, all we really can offer is Jesus as a church. And that's really the, the answer that people need without them really knowing. Uh, so I, I think, I think that's really, really fascinating. So, so I guess like as God as father, as you mentioned that, uh, how, how has that helped you in terms of your trials and your suffering now uh, that, that you have been going through uh, that you are going to go through. So how has that helped you in terms of fighting loneliness or depression or anytime something bad, your circumstances, mm. uh, anytime anything bad does happen, how does that kind of perspective of God and your belief and your faith help you through those times? I feel the need to preface with like, I don't feel like I'm special or anything like that, that, you know, I'm certainly not unique in going through trials or suffering, even through like my childhood that I talk about. Unfortunately, I think that more than, yeah, that, that it would be a very um, common experience. Well, you know what? I, I agree with you. Like I, I, that's kind of the uh, whole feel of, the, of our podcast is that these are everyday conversations with everyday people. And we yeah. like, we're really nothing, I guess we're all uniquely made and loved by God, but at the same time, the experiences that we have isn't just our own, even though mm -hmm. it is personal, but many people experience this as well. And I think only strengthens the testimony and, mm -hmm. and our story of how, like, you know, I think there's issues actually, if I'm the only one in the world <laughs> that experiences <laughs> it, <laughs> uh, I think there's problems there, but I think like when we say collectively, when there's different people around the world experiencing similar things. Yeah. Then I think that points to the supernatural. And I think that points to evidence of a God that is in control over all things. Sorry, I cut you off though. Uh, so yeah. Like, how does that help you in your worldview? Like right. in terms of like how you see suffering and trials um, and pain? I guess from a more, I mean, everything that I talked about, that was more childhood, but like, or growing up process, but like a more recent thing, having gone through, um, so for, I, I am married. We've been married for coming up seven years now to a lovely man named Brian. <laughs> and <laughs> um, he is lovely. He is lovely. He makes me laugh. But we, we had been trying it like Brian, if anyone, yeah, for anyone that knows Brian, you know how much he loves children. I think partly because he's a bit of a child himself. <laughs> he has a very childlikeness about him. Um, and we had been trying to get pregnant and it was, we tried for two years, which, uh, so if we have quite an age difference, Brian and I, uh, <laughs> we have nine years between us. And I always thought that like, I would just be able to get pregnant whenever because I'm young and healthy. Um, <laughs> so I, I was unfortunately mistaken on that part and it was two years and we didn't weren't able to be pregnant and I thought um, something must be wrong so we scheduled uh, 
like to go to a fertility clinic and we had a bunch of tests done, which that in itself was a very unpleasant experience being poked and prodded and asked if something's wrong with you. (laughs) But I mean, they didn't ask it like that, but you know, that's how it felt. Yeah. So eventually, but actually a week before uh, I was supposed to go into the clinic and review all our uh, results and things like that, I became pregnant and, or I found out I was pregnant and that, that was, I, I had been, I had so many different scenarios planned out for how I was going to like tell Brian. And like, I, I think on the, when I actually told him, I set up like three different cameras because I just couldn't wait to share the good news and have his, he's known to be a crier. So I really wanted to record his crying for everyone to share uh, with our family and friends. But um well, I mean, the fact that I'm talking about this on a podcast about trials and suffering, uh, I guess that lends itself to reveal that about a month and a half uh, afterwards, we lost our baby. And yeah, I, I don't know how to put into words what that experience was like. I've tried and I think... Um, yeah, it, it all happened so fast and you feel a million things at once, but then I also felt like it all was a blur and I felt numb and like my world was shattered in a way. Cause you know, when you have, as you know, you're, you're a parent that it's the thought of a child. It's like, so it's, it rocks your world and you think of all the possibilities and all the, what the future is going to be like. And all of a sudden in a moment it was gone so yeah that that was definitely uh tough it's been a year and a half since that all happened and I feel like I'm in a like okay place but then there's just you know sometimes you'll randomly be watching tv or listening to a song and then it's all it feels like it all happened all over again um yeah oh but to answer your question sorry (laughs) I I trailed off uh about how god like god's role throughout all of this um I again don't think I would have made it through that whole experience intact somewhat without god being in my life um, the day actually before I the miscarriage happened, I was um, like, I have this uh, widget on my phone that displays like a daily uh, Bible verse. And on that day, it, the Bible verse was Jesus is the same um, yesterday, today and forever. And I don't often do it, but I actually that was the first time I'd ever done it where I, I like saw one of those daily verses and felt in inspired, I guess, to like doodle it down. And like, I did a little drawing of a mountain and it was like, and, and the thought to myself was, oh, parenting is going to be difficult. So this is going to be a really good and useful Bible verse for me. <laughs> and the next day, man, <laughs> It, it it was a very timely um 
life raft in a way that bible verse to be reminded and if it, it felt like god was prepping me that your heart is going to be broken but just remember what's important wow so even in the the pain and suffering even before it happened you felt like god was preparing you for it or he already spoke to you somehow in it uh, i don't th- think he was prepared i didn't i don't think i knew he was preparing me right but he was for sure. I'm not sure. I can't remember when it was, but you must have shared your story. Was it last year during In our Sunday service? October of last year. So two months after the miscarriage. Yeah. I, I remember it was quite devastating because we were in life group together at that time. Um, mm. And you were just sharing about your loss and, 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 and the pain of that. And I, I think as someone walking alongside of you is in those moments that you really have no words uh, Mm. that you can really share. And I think those are sometimes the moments where not saying anything really is the best thing to do because there's really nothing we can say that can make it better. Uh, Whereas I think in in our time and society that we don't know how to interact with pain and suffering and trials, like either we brush Mm. it off or we joke about it or, I don't know, say something that doesn't make sense at all and kind of makes things worse, right? So I've come to learn that in those moments, uh, that wasn't just, it was very real for, it was real for you and it was experience you're going through, but as a church as well, for it was a lesson for us to learn what it means to walk alongside someone uh, that that is also going through uh, pain and pain and suffering. So so we, we learned a lot as well uh, as a church and we learned, I think, from your bravery and your courage in terms of how you were able to share your testimony, but, but also like your vulnerability as well. But what also I've picked up and I've learned is how you're so hopeful through it all. And I find that, I find it fascinating because that's not default. And maybe it was a learned uh, experience because of all the things you've gone through in the past. So I guess my question for you is like, how do you remain so hopeful, even though you've gone through so much, in life, like from the moment you were born, really, all the way till now, there's been so much pain and suffering and trials. But you said God is Father and God is good through it all. I think that mm, these things suck. There's just no other way of putting it. Um, but it's part of being human. I don't think we, what kind of life would it be? to go through no suffering, no trials. Yeah. So I think it's part of the human experience and that we have a choice when, like there's a lot of things in life we can't control, but how we react to it, for the most part, we have some say in that. And I think the choice is to keep trying and to find hope and know where your hope is in. And I believe that, yes, especially in the past year, everything that's happened, it was hard. But I, I think all these tough things grows my capacity for love. I don't think I would be the person I am today to ha- without having gone through everything that I went through. I it, it has made me a more empathetic person, I would like to think. And um, to... I, I think I, I take pride in um, in having difficult conversations with people and asking them if they're okay. If I 
even if I'm just a little bit, like if they just seem a little bit off from their normal, I, I, I'm pretty quick to ask, are you okay? I think, I hope I've been, at least that's something I try because, um, and I think that's because of my, my own experience. And so there's a sensitivity for other people that's been grown in me because of these things. So yeah, it's not good. It's not pleasant to endure, but I think it's part of the growing human experience to go through suffering. Yeah. Can you share a little bit more about that in terms of what are some things that people did or what are some things that they said that helped uh, during your time? Yeah. Of pain and suffering. Oh, that's actually a really, (laughs) I could go on on that because what you said earlier about mm, sometimes the best thing to say is nothing. (laughs) I have to say that that can, like when I was going in, in the midst of all that, I found it so comforting to know that I had a community behind me to know that, you know, um, if I needed to talk to someone that there would be people there. And I knew that even if though I didn't want necessarily want to talk about it all the time, that people were thinking of us and praying for us. And that was, I think all that I need, like, there's just, I mean, sometimes you, these things, there's no talking about it, you know, um, because I did find that in some cases, however well-intentioned, um, some people that said things hurt more than it helped. Do you want to elaborate on that? Like, <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, you don't need to quote from who and what they, you know, who oh. said what, but like in terms of what are some things that were said that um, more, more hurtful than helpful? Well, I think there's just, I don't know if this is a cultural thing or if this is just a people thing where we want to be able to do something to help someone, especially I think I'm an acts of purse, uh, acts of service, love, like language person. So I always want to, so I may fall into this trap often as well, but in people wanting to care for me, they would say things like, oh, you should be more careful or um, like take better care of your health. And though they meant well, the way it was received to me at that time, especially was, oh, like it seemed like I had some control over what happened. So that was something I had to wrestle with and retell myself that that's not true. But then on the flip side of that, like I also had people that say like, oh, well, you know, just try again. And it was only two months. <laughs> I think that also was like, I mean, to me, it felt like the whole world should have stopped and mourned with me, <laughs> you know, but then this person was, or these people were telling me to move on. And so it was very, I don't know, conflicting, but I actually, um, I, the thing is, though, also, I can't speak for everyone. Everyone that goes through this um, want, needs different things. So, yeah. But I think not being afraid of it is good. Not being afraid of the discomfort. Because I also found that sometimes people would feel obligated to say something to me. And I appreciated the thought. But then I could see they were clearly uncomfortable 
And then I would feel the need to comfort them, to tell them that I'm going to be okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Well, yeah, I, I, I think, well, we're, we're all trying to figure this out together. And I think mm. this conversation is helping because what you just mentioned there is, is interesting because we need to prepare ourselves before we have this conversation as well. So some people might might not be thinking about it. And then, you know, I want to care, but they don't think about how to care. So they go right into it. And then all of a sudden, all these emotions kind of come through. And before we know it, the people were trying to comfort or comforting us because, and then it kind of like, well, what's really going on here? And I'm all for authenticity and, you know, like organic relationships and conversations. But at the same time, it's like really be mindful of what it is that we're doing there. Uh, because again, uh, we have to be sensitive, but we don't want need to be, we want to be sensitive, but we can't be afraid either. And I love how you share that because Jesus will go into these. I mean, I'll read some of the, the narratives in the gospel and just think how awkward they are, mm. but Jesus went on into them with full confidence, uh, saying what needed to be said, but with full sensitivity and with full love as well. So, so I, I think that's a way of us approaching people as well. And I think part of it is coming into a conversation and really praying and seeing what is it that the person needs instead of, you know, I have an answer. So I'm coming in and giving that to you. You know, it's sometimes often that's how we feel, how we deal with pain and suffering. Like we just want to put a bandaid over it because it makes me feel uncomfortable. So I'm just trying to make you feel better. I'm, I'm thinking about uh, how we respond differently to pain and suffering. So like mm. to this, uh, to the news you, when you received the news and when, or when it was confirmed that you had a miscarriage, what, what was the difference of response? What was the difference in the responses between you and your husband, Brian, and maybe even your husband, uh, even your family, did you notice there was a difference or was it pretty similar across your family? My response is weird because it wasn't like they told us all at once. We went in on a Sunday after church. Like it just seemed like any other Sunday. Um, but then I felt like something was wrong. And then we went in for some testing and they told after like the test and waiting a couple hours, they told us, oh, it seems like you may be having a miscarriage, um, but we can't know for sure. And I had to go back the next day for more testing to confirm so in between those two days like that night I I did a lot of negotiating with God <laughs> and I thought maybe, maybe this is just something I have to go through and it'll all be fine tomorrow but may, maybe I'm not I don't know I just went there were so many things I went through um but I, I don't, I didn't even have the courage to tell my own mom because as I had kind of touched on, but my relationship with my mom is very um, complicated and I couldn't deal with her emotions as well as mine at that time. But when I told my, like through, as soon as we thought something was wrong, we had WhatsApped Brian's family and after the hospital the first day uh, when we were having to knowing we were gonna have to go back to the hospital the second day that evening um, Brian's mom dad his auntie and uncle was like okay let us know when you're on your way home we'll bring over dinner we'll eat and like 
you know, and as when we're done eating, they're like, okay, we're going to pray for you now. And the four of them laid hands on us and prayed for us. And I broke down within this prayer. And I just, I think as they were praying for me, I knew that I was going to lose the baby. I think there was an acceptance within that moment, but it was also a very, um, I, I like, but at the same time, it's like, well, I knew that there was going to be people here praying and going through it with us and I, we wouldn't be alone. So what was, what was Brian like that night? I think we, so Brian is a very emotional guy, but at the same time, I don't think he's very good at talking about them. <laughs> so we've talked about this from time to time about how, what it was like for him. And he said, if I recall, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think for him, it was just, it, it was disappointing and sad and unfortunate, but I think it was more hard for him to see me go through all of it. I think I'm sure hormones was a factor, but like <laughs> for me, it was a very uh, roller coaster it, like of an experience. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, Brian throughout that whole, so around that time, actually where I was, my work allowed me to take um, a week off from work. Um, Cause they, I had actually told them about the pregnancy as well. And so they were very, very understanding. And I'm so thankful because I don't know that many people have that luxury to be able to tell work that, oh, I lost a baby and that they would allow them to take a week off work. And then um, Brian also happened to have time off at that time. So we were able to go through a week of just letting ourselves be a mess if we needed to. We watched some like stand-up comedy <laughs> to like make ourselves forget. And then there were times where like I would just fall into Brian's arms and be like, why, why? I don't understand. And yeah. And that's, that seems to be a pattern of grief. Like uh, having experienced uh, loss in my own life too. I'm thinking back to my grandma. Uh, mm. So like when, whenever we experience grief and, and pain and suffering, it, it comes and goes. Like there'll be little moments that remind you of it. And there'll be times when everything is perfectly, perfectly okay. And we're, we're able to uh, quote unquote manage our emotions. But then there are times when it just kind of comes out and, and, and we, we, we can't contain it anymore. And I think that's, as you spoke on before, that's humanity, mm. uh, but too much of us in the West and North America, and maybe even in our, you know, in our cult, church culture and our setting, we, we are, we're not told to control it, but there seems to be a culture that you suppress it. Mm. You know, you keep it. That's your own kind of thing. So like, don't make it my issue and my problem. And I think that's a problem. Like mm. when, when, we're the, when there's that kind of culture going on, because the, the gospel and God calls us not to be like that. Like we're to be authentic because Jesus poured himself out like a drink offering on the cross for us. Like he laid it all out. I think that that actually is the big difference of how I handle um, challenges, I guess, uh, compared to like before I had a relationship with Christ to now. 
It's like before I used to take a lot of pride in being someone who was very strong. Like in, in was it grade seven or something? I like fell and had hurt myself super badly, but I did not cry at all. And this girl was like, whoa, Joanne, you're so strong. You didn't cry. Like that must have hurt, but you didn't cry. And I, to the, till now, I hold that comment. Well, okay, not to now, but like it, it <laughs> I held that comment really tightly uh, of just, feeling like I always had to be strong. And I, I think that must have come from feeling like I need to be strong for my mom. But I held that kind of mentality throughout most of my life of feeling that I can't tell people, or if I do, I have to be okay. And I don't think that, I, I think because of knowing God and being free from the burden of having to be strong all the time. I can be vulnerable now and I can talk about all this super personal stuff on a podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, because I, I think not talking about it and or hiding it like not everyone has to make it public like I am right now but I think by hiding away our struggles and making ourselves to be alone in it that's keeping it in the darkness and mm, allowing ourselves to be honest with God and other people about what we're going through like I said it, it may be uncomfortable but that's a way of making bringing things to light and just allowing God to redeem that. Yeah, Joanne, I, I'm thinking uh, there's a whole bunch of other questions I wanted to ask you today that we didn't even touch. <laughs> in terms of like, you, you worked, uh, our, our Lord's Love is non-denominational, but you've worked in the Alliance office uh, before. So I want to ask you about church and leadership and what that was like. And also like your role now as a fellowship department head, like you've had some great initiatives in terms of, helping people connect and maybe that comes out of your own experience you know of loneliness and brokenness as well that you want people to feel connected and make them realize they're not alone i also want to ask you like the challenges of working in in a, in a leadership team that really uh goes covers all three congregations of ours so cantonese english and, and the mandarin congregation that it's not an easy role that you're in mm. uh so so but then that they'll have to wait <laughs> for another uh, for another podcast we need you what back for, setup. for part two yeah i've inv I, i've invited you back and accepted on your behalf oh okay before you even you even come but I, I guess like one last thing though like what is one thing you want to encourage the listeners with like out of today like we, we talked a lot about trial pain and suffering and finding hope and whatnot like if you're to leave one thing with someone that might be going through pain and trial and suffering right now mm. what, what do you think about what would that be I would say don't be afraid to be honest with God. Um, I, I don't know if this is just me, but I think there's a lot of times when, you know, we might not want to go to him if we're mad or if we're sad or, but I, I think that's what, that, that God is ready and willing and always listening and waiting for us. And he just wants to be there. So if you're just, honest with him even if you're criticizing him even if you think he hates you I think just be honest with him and I think how he responds to you you may be surprised I hope that resonates with someone somewhere out there don't be afraid well, well thanks Joanne 
uh, th- th- thanks for sharing uh, today. And I'm always encouraged by you. I'm always encouraged by your story and the conversations that we have. Uh, and I look forward to having more uh, conversations with you in the future. Yeah, th- th- thanks for uh, agreeing to do this and being so vulnerable today. My pleasure. <laughs> thanks. Well, that was my conversation with Joanne, and I hope there were parts that spoke to and resonated with you. I love the theme of redemption in Joanne's life, how God was able to redeem the messiness and the brokenness which led her to where she is today. But we all have our own journey, and God is good through it all. As we often say, the goal of these conversations isn't so much of saying this is the only way to live or that we're experts in living life, but perhaps God would stir up some thoughts in your hearts and to move you to become more like Jesus. That's all we have for today. We have a new episode every two weeks on the Wednesday, so please join us again when I have my conversation with Jermaine Lee, who is currently a deacon at our church, along with some other leadership roles. She also has a doctor of traditional Chinese medicine and practices right here in Vancouver. We'll explore the topic of Chinese medicine and Christianity, along with Christianity and Chinese culture, and how she lives out her faith in all these intersections. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.